Hello there. As announced, this is my special episode during my summer break. I thought I'd just collect a wide variety of large historical fun facts about Cologne. Some pretty obvious, some a bit, well, special. So, let's get started. Here are a few little fun facts about Cologne that I've put together. Kölsch beer is indeed a lighter and sweeter beer in taste than compared to other German beers, especially the much more common Pilz or Lager beer. This leads some out-of-towners to disdainfully refer to it as anything other than a real beer. But Kölsch is not a light beer. It has just as much alcohol as other beers around 5%. And so I see again and again how tourists or out-of-towners are completely wasted in front of the pubs of the old town in summer and turn the innermost outward, if you know what I mean. Then in Cologne Cathedral there are representations of bagpipes, which are actually quite untypical here, a whole 17 times. We start with beer. Let's continue with this fact. At Rudolfplatz, a square in the city of Cologne, there's a giant illuminated man on the facade of a house on Aachener Street, which continuously downs a Kölschbier. Every eight seconds. Prost. But not only beer, people also want to have knowledge in the city. So more than 5,600 people visit a municipal library in Cologne on any given day, and borrow an average of four books per person. I am one of them from time to time, but then it's usually more than four books. Of course, just one fact about Cologne Cathedral would be boring, so the value of Cologne Cathedral is estimated by the Archbishopric of Cologne at 27 euros. No, not 27 million or 27 billion, really only 27 euros. The reason? Cologne Cathedral has operating costs of around 35,000 euros per day. What is interesting here is that the Archbishopric carried out this valuation of the Gothic Cathedral because, because the Catholic Church in Cologne is not the owner at all of the cathedral. The cathedral belongs to itself as a separate legal entity. By the way, if the cathedral would be completely rebuilt today, it would probably cost 10 billion euros, despite the most modern construction equipment. Therefore, I still find that again so imposing that people have already taken on this building project in the 13th century. If we're still talking about finances, about Cologne Cathedral, who pays for it, 70% of the money is taken over by the Central Cathedral Building Association, or in German, Zentral Dombauverein zu Köln von 1842 an association that is non-religious and collects money for the preservation of the Gothic Cathedral. I've been a member there since I was a teenager. You too. It only costs 20 euros a year. The city of Cologne and the archbishopric also contribute to the financing of the church, but together they only account for 25% of the total costs. That's really an absurdity considering how much money the cathedral brings into the city through visitors. And to round that up, Cologne Cathedral was the tallest building in the world when it was completed in 1880. 
And speaking of the 19th century, in 1890, Kaiser Wilhelm II, Emperor Wilhelm II, was invited to Cologne to inaugurate Cologne's modernized sewage system. So as not to focus so much on the stench and also to meet the demands of the royal visit, two large magnificent chandeliers were hung in the vault of that um, sewage uh, tunnel. They are still hanging there today and can be viewed during guided tours. Isn't that great? You probably can't see your own sh you know what I mean, flow by more luxuriously anywhere in the world. And since we're talking about um, things that come out of human bodies, there are many legends about the so-called Kalendrissa, which in Cologne dialect means a person who defecates in a gutter. Allegedly, this was often expressed by normal people in Cologne too, the city councillors, to express their own criticisms. You, you just pulled down your pants and showed your behind to them when they walked by. How vulgar. However, I like a not-so-familiar version of the Kalendressa legend even better. For example this. A man practiced constantly at the open window with his tuba. His rather bad than right way of playing this instrument annoyed the neighbor above him so much so that he made sure in this way of being a Kalendressa that he clocked the neighbor's tuba further down with a certain accuracy. If you know what I mean, I would hate to elaborate with what he clocked the neighbor's tuba. But since we're talking about neighborhood, Cologne is a huge collection of many villages. Yes, of course, we're all proud of our cathedral and like the football club Erste Köln, you know, soccer in American English. But whether you were born here or moved here, you have a strong connection with your Fiedel. Fiedel is Cologne for borough, but it even refers to smaller spatial units that don't even appear in the official language of the city. This is because Cologne has incorporated numerous suburbs in the course of the last 140 years. Thus, officially there are 86 city quarters, but within these there are much smaller units, the so-called already mentioned Fede, the boroughs. One example, the old town of Cologne is nowadays the city's designation for the Roman inclusive medieval settlement core within the former medieval city walls. Completely arbitrarily and absolutely historically incorrect, a line is drawn in the middle and the old town is divided into a northern part and a southern part. But no Cologne resident would ever say that he comes from Old Town South. Absolutely no one, no matter whether you were born here or moved here. People tend to say that they come from the Severin's Quarter, the area around the Church of St. Severin in the south of the Old Town, or that one comes from the Martins Fiedel, the Martins Quarter, that quarter with a large church directly on the banks of the Rhine in the Old Town. We talked about the Martins Quarter quite often already here. There have already been several attempts to officially reintroduce the historically correct names of the Fedels, the boroughs, which are still used by the people today. <sighs> but what can I say? Typical Cologne city administration, this was always put on the back burner or even rejected as 
too expensive as a measure. But to renovate an opera house over far too long years with almost a billion euros? Yeah, no, that's clear. Okay, we have money for that. And talking about emotions, if Germans are considered stuffy and boring and completely devoid of humor, this does not apply to the cosmopolitan Rhinelanders like the people of Cologne, for example. The direct proximity to France, Belgium, Luxembourg, the Netherlands and England have made us looser than the average German. And please do not take the statement too seriously if you are a German from other parts of the country. So it is then that during Carnival, then large parades of the city with dressed up people, 300 tons of sweets are thrown on Rose Monday alone. Incidentally, anyone who gets hit on the head with a chocolate bar is not entitled to compensation during Carnival. This was decided by a court in Cologne in 2010 when a woman filed a corresponding complaint against the Carnival company. The court ruled that it was normal for things to be thrown in the Rhineland at Carnival, so better watch out the next time. A tip from me, just wear a costume to Carnival that has a helmet. For example, I like to dress up as a 19th century policeman. In addition to that oh, beautiful uniform, you then also have a helmet on which cushions all the sugar and chocolate-laden projectiles aimed at your head. Most of the time, if a chocolate bar flies to, in, to the direction of your head, it's an accident. And speaking of accidents, during the construction of the Severance Bridge of the Rhine, a serious work accident occurred on September 21st, 1956. The accident occurred during foundation casting. Five construction workers were recovered dead. Another dead person could not be recovered. Therefore, it can be assumed that there is still a dead body in the poured foundation of the bridge today. Why is one not quite sure? What probably none of the responsible persons at that time did not like to admit, many workers on a construction site worked illegal, so not officially on the construction site. So there were also no records about uh, really who worked there at that time, at that moment, at that day. But there are still some contemporary witnesses today who say that this story is true. The last fun fact is a bit longer. I've received messages from listeners, first-time listeners, who thought this was a podcast about the history of perfumes, of Cologne, and not a podcast about... Cologne, Germany. In the English language, perfume is often called Cologne as well, and not without reason. In the 18th century, Cologne was renowned for its perfume industry. We owe this to an Italian perfumer who found his new home in Cologne. His name was Johann Maria Farina, and his residence, including a perfume factory, still stands today directly opposite Cologne City Hall. Today there's also a perfume museum here. I really have to take a look at that. For five years I worked in the immediate vicinity of the Farina house, but never once I was in there. Although Farina himself had made the decision to move to Cologne, he missed his old home south of the Alps. So in 1709 he created a perfume that he called Kölnischwasser. But since French and 
not German was the language of the educated and upper class in that time, it was called Eau de Cologne. I can't speak French, please don't crucify me on that uh, pronunciation. So, meaning Cologne water. And so Cologne became synonymous with perfume in the English language. I mean, that's what I learned about... That's one of the first things I learned when I came to America as an exchange student. What is this cologne, the perfume, actually made of? Well, the exact composition is probably well kept as a secret, like the recipe of the Krabby Patty at uh, Krusty Krabs. But the ingredients include essential oils such as bergamot and neroli, lemon, orange, lime, tangerine, grapefruit and cedar, along with a lot of ethanol. Farina's product conquered the markets in no time in the 18th century. The Holy Roman Emperor in Vienna loved the fragrance, and soon all the courts of Europe did as well. No ball, no festive reception at the nobility and wealthy in Europe where one did not hear or smell the scent of Farina. Until today, the company is, with short interruptions, in the eighth generation of family ownership. And the recipe is still the same today, as it has been since the 18th century. This makes Farina one of the oldest continuously sold perfumes ever. In the 19th century, many companies in Cologne tried to imitate this Eau de Cologne. The most successful of these was 4711, which many people misconstrued as the original Cologne. But I do not want to take sides here. My lift neutrality is also noticeable in my bathroom. I have both Farina Cologne and 4711 Cologne in the cabinet. I like both of them. Sorry. Well, yeah, this was spontaneously, as you probably noticed. And yeah, that was my special episode during my summer break. Don't worry, we'll continue as normal in three weeks. Then we return to the medieval cologne of the 11th century. Feel free to give me feedback on what you thought of this episode, this special episode, and if we can't do a more relaxed episode in between from time to time, I would be happy to hear from you. Until then, thank you and auf Wiedersehen. <laughs>